In the Trauma-Informed Education podcast, you can get great ideas and practical advice for educators. You can get more invaluable insights and free resources by subscribing to our Trauma-Informed PBS monthly newsletter. Visit www.tipbs.com and register your email address. That's tipbs.com. Hello and welcome to Trauma-Informed Education. I'm your host, Dr. Kay Eyre. Being a principal can be a challenging and demanding role. Balancing the needs of students with those of the staff and the school community can be a difficult task. With so many competing needs, adopting a trauma-informed approach can seem like an enormous task, particularly when teachers and the school community are tired and wary of new approaches. So why would educational leaders want to adopt trauma-informed practices in their schools? Today we speak to Jim Sporleader, author of the book Trauma-Informed Practice, an Implementation Guide for Administrators and School Personnel. After 33 years as an educator, and most recently as principal of Lincoln High School in Walla Walla, Jim and his staff's pioneering work was documented in the movie Paper Tigers. Most recently, Jim, along with Heather Forbes, published the Trauma-Informed Practice Implementation Guide for School Administrators that is designed to provide a step-by-step guide on how to turn any building into a trauma-informed school. Jim will be interviewed by my colleague, Dr. Gavin Krishnamurthy. I hope you find this interview useful. Hi everyone and welcome to Trauma Informed Education. My name is Dr. Kevin Krishnamurthy and I'm here as always with Dr. K.A. Hi Kay. Hello, how are you today? Good, I'm great. We've got um, Jim here with us. Hi Jim, how are you? Very well, thank you. This is very exciting. Um, we've been meaning to have you um, on for a very long time so we're glad we could finally make it happen. Um, Jim, we might just jump right into it. Could you tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to becoming an educator? Uh, as far as going into edu- education, um, school actually was very, very, very difficult for me. In fact, I had a couple of my elementary teachers that told my parents I would never make it to college that they'd better find another route for me. So uh, uh, I have a little interesting um avenue in education is uh, I wanted to go in and be the teacher to tell kids what I wish my teachers had told me growing up. Yeah. Now I was a very, I was, a, I was a challenge for them. So, you know, back in the, <laughs> back in the day and the very, very traditional uh, mindset, uh, I wasn't the easiest child to have in class, but um, uh, some of the things that were shared with me, I always felt that, I would want other kids to hear something different. Yeah, that's fascinating. Oh, this might be too early for this, but I wonder if you could share a couple of things that you heard as a student that made a real difference to you, Jim. Well, I, I, I believe that I definitely had issues around ADHD. Um, could, not, could not sit still, could not stop. My mind would just continuously, you know, my thought process I couldn't concentrate and uh, I would become extremely frustrated and then uh, that would then be manifested into my frustration into my behavior so right. uh, and then I had a rage issue I, I my frustration would get to a point and then all of a sudden this rage would come out and I didn't understand it and um, I'm a minister's kids I always say that they should have 11th ace and it should be if you're a son of a minister, but, uh, (laughs) but, uh, so then there was always that, that shaming of my behavior. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so, so that part was quite, quite difficult. Mm, Yeah. That's interesting. Jim, did that, did that sort of difficulty, was that right through your schooling or was it like from when you were young, like some people have difficulty 
when they hit high school or secondary school, but primary school, what we call primary or elementary school is okay. Was that a difficulty all the way through for you? Uh, what happened with me is uh, elementary is where uh, my behavior was uh, a challenge. Right. And uh, uh, the, the learning frustrations always stayed with me. But when I got into what we call junior high school here, yeah. uh, I was fortunate enough that I started to develop athletically. And when I got into junior high school, I ran into an old school coach that was very material, um, military oriented and uh, ran things as such. And uh, after a couple of screw ups in class, boy, he really let me have it. <laughs> and uh, So you got it sorted pretty quickly. <laughs> well, I, I, I didn't want to do anything to put my, uh, my, my uh, sports at risk. So I actually just flipped my behavior. I, I ne actually never was removed from class. I was, I would say I was, I was a modeled uh, but I carried the learning frustrations with me though. Right. Yeah. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. So um, in your journey to becoming a principal, Jim, um, you were the principal obviously of Lincoln High School. What were some of the problems you were trying to address in the school at the time when you decided to really embrace a trauma-informed approach? Well, first, we, you know, you, us take a step back and, and I was at our middle school here in town we have two middle schools I, and I had started my teaching career at uh, one of the middle schools Garrison Middle School and said I would never go into administration I was a special ed teacher and, and uh, loved it and I ended up being in, going into administration, but I, I, I was at Garrison for 22 years, and I would have—I called that my dream job. I had no intentions of leaving, or I, I, in fact, I felt very blessed that I would be able to retire in the same school after 30 years. And uh, our school district hired a consultant who went out and did a assessment on all of our district alternative programs, and. I don't know why he came by to see me, um, but he did. And he wanted to leave the report with me and very nice man. And, but uh, you know, I, I was thinking to myself, why in the heck are you here? Uh, <laughs> but I took his report home and I fi finally did read it and it was extremely painful. He put a tremendous uh, voice to not only the students, the staff, um, the community, law enforcement, community partners. He really did an incredible job. And, and uh, that, it was the voice of his report that just was devastating to me. It was kids saying that uh, nobody cared about them, that they were the bad kids. Uh, the teachers saying the same thing. We're, we're, we're the bad teachers, nobody cares about us. Uh, none of them felt safe. It was a very unsafe environment. But it was that sense of the, I couldn't get that out of my mind, the, 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 the pain. There was just a lot of pain that was being expressed. So I actually went in and asked to be transferred. Uh, and it, school wasn't called Lincoln, it was, called, it was called Pain Alternative High School. So I say, send your most struggling students to pain and we'll make it worse. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't until I got over to, to pain that we decided if we were going to change the culture, we needed a new name. So mm -hmm. the kids actually chose Lincoln as the name of the mm -hmm. high school. Right. And, uh, and the Phoenix as the mascot. And an interesting point there is after the students chose that name, I had a elderly uh, community member come in about two weeks after it came out in the paper and she brought me a, she had a paper bag with her and, and she came into my office and she went, she said, I have a gift for you. And she handed me this paper bag and there's a China plate with Lincoln high school, a hand painting of Lincoln high school. And she shared with me that uh, Lincoln high school had been on our footprint back in the early 1800s. Mm. So it's kind of like the kids yeah. pick Lincoln. It's like coming out of the ashes. So yeah, isn't that amazing? 
so we changed the name and started to try to work on the culture. Uh, and that was before I became trauma informed. And, um, but it was very, uh, very challenging. It was the most out of control school environment I had ever seen. Uh, just a simple re request from an authority was, was met with such defiance that, um, it, it was uh, quite overwhelming, to be honest with you. And I, not knowing much or anything about trauma-informed, really took a very traditional approach to get control. There was about five gangs that were involved. Uh, and you could just feel the tension. You just, you knew the spark was going to go off. You didn't know when, but when it did, you had a, you had a forest fire. And, and uh, really had to work with the community police uh, on their reaction time. and. And that turned into a partnership where we were taking up so much of their time that, that they, they uh, went in partnership with us on an SRO, school resource officer. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we, we actually walked through hell before, <laughs> before we got to where we mm. wanted to be. Yeah. So even though we were making improvements, the intent was to build a, a, a school culture where these kids felt valued, where the staff felt valued. Uh, my number one priority was that the kids and staff felt safe. Uh, it was not a safe environment at that time. Uh, but boy, once uh, I was invited to a, a conference where Dr. John Medina was the keynote. And as educators, we're, we're, we're trained that behavior is a choice. And Therefore, it needs to have a consequence, and it's never out of the student's control. And that's kind of how I was trained and, and how I disciplined. And I thought that I worked hard at teaching kids uh, through my discipline, but I did use out-of-school suspensions. Um, and after hearing John Medina, it was the first time I'd ever heard about toxic stress, uh, the brain being overflowed with cortisol, the fight, I heard a fight, flight, freeze, but I just didn't have anything to connect it to. But boy, he pounded home that when they kids are in that part of their brain that they physiologically cannot learn or problem solve mm -hmm. and uh, that it was out of their control. And that just, it's hard to explain. It was, uh, turned my world upside down because I realized that my discipline was punishing, which I would have told you, I don't hurt kids. Mm. And I realized that, uh, I had to go back and, and, and change how I approached that. Mm. I had a couple of questions, Jim, just about that period when you said you had just come into the school and a lot of things were in chaos. Um, and, you know, you've, you have the v wisdom of looking back now at how things have changed over time. Um, what would you say to people who are there who feel intensely helpless, who feel quite cynical about things being different when they're working with really challenging students. What would be your message to them, do you think? If I were to talk to somebody that was in that situation now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what I've learned is that, is that I would say start talking to the kids mm. and, and get, give them a voice to see yeah. what they're thinking. And as much as we need to create safety around our students, we need to create safety around our staff. Mm. So when I told the kids, even though they did not like my rules when I first got there, and I was not very popular, um, I just kept playing that broken record that you say you didn't feel safe. Uh, I'm committed to a safe school, but I also gave the teachers the same commitment that uh, we would create a safe school that they felt safe in as well. And I think the difference between that traditional approach and a trauma approach is that we're always telling kids how it's going to be versus asking for a voice. And um, uh, once I came back and changed my approach and started asking versus telling, uh, just start, we saw things immediately. And in fact, it was what the kids were telling us was the fuel that kept the fire burning to want to learn more. And, uh, geez, you know, you were wondering how this kid ever make it to school versus you got a three day suspension because you told the teacher to have fog. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think giving people voice and giving kids voice is 
part of that relationship building and that trust. And, you know, we, we, we can value what, what these kids are telling us and valid and validate their feelings without validating the action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think the same strategies uh, are, are, are with adults as well. Jim's just following on from that, that you can obviously yeah, validate their feelings and support them without validating the action. Did you find um, that there was that hurdle for many teachers that if we're going to ask the students what they want, well, all of a sudden they're going to run the school, it'll, you know, it's not going to get any better, we're letting them get away with it, it's... It's, you know, that, that mentality, well, this is just an excuse for that behaviour now. So yeah. how, did, how did you sort of keep the teachers level and till you got to that point? Do you know what I mean? Uh, that's a great question. And uh, I, I think it's, I think it's the, the hurdle that's and the challenge that's still out in front of us as, as a system. If, um, unfortunately, I mean, this still is cutting edge it's a cutting edge movement and, and there's those that, that still have that real strict mindset that there needs to be punishment. Um, so the, the hurdle for me, I, I, if I had an advantage is that when I thought, when I didn't know I was going to make it or not, there was only 50 kids showing up on a daily basis and we jumped to 175 within a year and um, it was that I got I was able to start hiring new people and I hired people that, that had uh, those strong relationship skills and so I was able to pick momentum off of that but I, I had the naysayers and my response with them simply was um, you know the direction that we're going you know where I where I stand. I've shared that, and I brought in some staff development around it. And I said, uh, I know you can't. You don't seem to want to go where I'm standing, and I can't go where you're standing. I so I just said, I'll. I'm willing to meet you on common ground. You just have to bring me the research. And uh, though you know those that are that strong a mindset they, they want to complain but they don't want to necessarily solve the problem and so when they would when they'd come in to complain i would just say do you have your research mm-hmm. and uh it was a little bit of a play because i knew there wasn't research to support where they were at but uh, <laughs> but i put ownership on them and i said i, I I'll, I'll meet you on common ground you just need to bring the research to show that that's how uh, we should be approaching our kids because we know what the tr- what the research is telling us on the traditional yeah. side, and um, I'm even at the point now when I'm presenting that that I guess I have a little sense of urgency that that I'll I'll even share to the participants that I'm sharing with that we don't get a pass. Mm. I, I don't I, I don't I don't think I as a teacher, I don't think I have the right to say I'm not willing to move away from this traditional uh, approach of working with kids through discipline. Um, I'm not comfortable with the trauma-informed. I can handle I'm not comfortable, but I'm, I'll help you through that. But I don't feel like we should get a pass because if we get a pass on that, we continue to hurt kids. Mm-hmm. And, and I do it, I'd say it in a compassionate way. I don't, I don't want to do the shaming or blaming. That's not right. But uh, I, I do take a stronger stance on that now because mm. we have too many, as you know, we have too many hurting kids. Why, why would we want to add to their pain? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Jim, you talked about um, introducing some professional development for the teachers. You've spoken a little bit about changing the disciplinary processes um, at the school, what were some of the other practical things that you did at the um, school that you think made a difference? I I, I, I would have to say uh, the success at Lincoln High School was 
because we came together as a staff and we came together as an as a whole staff you know you can have a few naysayers when you have the majority lock arms and i'm talking secretaries paras your custodian your cook when you all lock arms together and circle around your kids uh, that becomes your identity and that becomes your culture so our our successes was not my success it was our su success um but what what, what, what we noticed on some on the staff development piece that was clear back in 2010 so we didn't have all the information that we have now as far as because I was looking for a curriculum and there were, you know it's not, it's not a curriculum <laughs> or and, a program <laughs> yeah and, uh, we all do we picked up three concepts and you know I've written a book on how to implement a trauma-informed model into a school and I've written in a, in a manner of, of simplicity because I, I think I think because of the movement and, and awareness that we tend to some think it's a it's rocket science versus relationships but in, in, in that first staff development the three concepts that we picked up and, and when I'm training I say if you want to know how this is the how and we learned that one we had to drop our personal mirror that the behavior is not about me um that goes against our traditional training uh two uh the, we learned that we had to give our kids time to calm down that problem solving and trying to tackle the issue when they're highly escalated uh is not a good good time to do it and, but that becomes an extremely valuable teachable moment because then when students came in i was able to say i can see you're not your brain's not ready where before if they came in yelling that could be an extra day out versus you know they could say i'm not effing gonna calm down and i would say of course you can't you're not in that part of the brain so when you drop your your mirror it just frees you up for those conversations and when you stay calm when they're escalated you have such a, a, a great opportunity to help get them to calm and and to me that's where where the teaching really takes place so teaching them about their triggers teaching them about options um uh, you know, let's think of other ways when we start to get frustrated on what we can do so we don't have to tell the teacher to F off. Um, mm. Man, I, I just, I just found that, that, that in the office when I was working with kids one-on-one, -on -one, that, that just became a tremendous opportunity to teach. And then what I found them doing, the kids doing is we, we let kids uh, ask for, for timeouts is that kids started to self-regulate because we had the systems in place for them to do so. And, you know, kind of get back to what you were saying, Kay, is, is you know, what's, what's the goal with discipline? To punish, to harm, or to change the behavior? And if the goal is to change the behavior, we can do that. And, and, and when we bring these kids back to calm and do the problem solving in the teaching. In fact, I, I truly believe the relationship starts with accountability where, you know, others will say this model has no accountability. I would argue that I would, I, th I think it, it holds kids at a higher level of accountability than we could ever wish for in a traditional hmm. model. Yeah. And so what, so what I found is that kids would seek me out and just say, hey, they'd say, spoiler, I need a timeout. I'm about ready to lose it. And then I was able to say, man, you're, you're watching your triggers. That's awesome. And then we'd let them have their timeout and we'd let them go back to class when they felt they were ready. Yeah. But you have to have you all, your community has to be all a part of that. The teachers mm -hmm. had, had, they were able to offer that to a student as well. And, um, the student then starts to see that the the culture is there for them. Yeah. The other piece I noticed is that when we had those discussions, I'd watch the kids, they would be de-escalating. Mm -hmm. 
And when we got down to the point where they were calm and we talked about choices in the brain and, and, and their triggers and all, that's when I gave them their, that's when I gave them their consequences when they were calm mm -hmm. and they were expecting it. You yeah. know, so they, we didn't give them a pass for telling the teacher to F off. I mean, there was a consequence for it, but it came at the end mm. not, not when they were highly escalated. Yeah, that's excellent. Thank you. Lots of really practical things there. Um, Jim, can you share with us some stories from when you started to notice this sort of approach actually making a difference? Um, if there were one or two things that stood out in your mind of students saying things to you, I think you've shared a few things there already. Was there a, a story that stood out in your mind about it having a positive impact? You know, the the... the the story I always tell is the, the, I have lots of them, but I mean, the story is the first student that walked in that had told the teacher to F off that I'd had a three year policy of that was a three day suspension, you know, because it was so rampant when I first got there. And so I have this student who's highly escalated, told the teacher to F off and walked in my office. And um, I actually was a little bit nauseous because of this, I was changing my mindset and uh, how I, and I was not going to put this student out. And I, I was questioning myself a little bit on the inside. But all I said to this student was, Jared, doesn't sound like you. What caused that? That's all I said. And he just went into a uh, how pissed off he was. Uh, that led into uh, – you know, Sproyd, I don't know if you know it or not, but my dad's a drunk. He's let me down all my life. And then this he's telling me these stories of where his dad had promised to do us, you know, have him and his friends over for uh, stay the night, movie night, or to take him to an athletic game. And he'd never show up. And this kid was just saying, I'm so pissed. He just, you know, he lets, he's let me down all my life. But why he's telling me this, and, and you're hearing these stories, you can't help but say, man, I'm sorry, I never, I never knew that. Or you just, again, validating the voice. Um, I, I saw him coming down. And, and then, he, then he got to the point, he said, uh, today's my birthday, and my dad promised me a car. He told me when I got up in the morning to, if I would run to the front window that he would sneak it over during the middle of the night. And he goes, I believed him. I believed he was going to come through. And he goes, I got up this morning and no car. And he goes, I'm so effing upset. Mm. And uh, we were able to connect on, on those feelings. And then all of a sudden, son, he says, um, has nothing to do with the teacher. I need to apologize to Terry. <laughs> and uh, I let him know I, you know, I was going to do the discipline in school, not out of school. Uh, before he left, this is the first student that, that, that I tried this new strategies with. Uh, when he got to the door, he turned around and he said, Spoiler, thanks for talking to me. And it hit me. All I did was just connect to what he was saying. I didn't, there really wasn't a conversation. And he went out right after school and apologized to the teacher. Teacher comes running in tells me, wow, did you hear about Jared and his dad? And I said, yes. And he goes, he gave me the most beautiful apology. And, and then I, I, it just started to come together to me that he went out and he, he got forgiven. The teacher mm -hmm. forgave him and showed him empathy and compassion. And he still, he still had his in-school consequence. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't, that wasn't like a unique situation. It was a pattern that started, and it, and um, again, it, it happened because I, we started asking the kids, "What's what's going on? Where's your stress level right now?" Mm. And uh, I would say, "Is it school, or is it coming outside of school?" And mm. rarely did a student ever tell me it was school. Mm. It manifested itself at school, but the trigger went off at school, but. Uh, it, it just kept going on and on. And, you know, in, in, in our state, we have some 
some ridiculous disciplinary policies of mm-hmm. wrapping around possession of marijuana. You know, we're putting kids out for 35 days. Mm-hmm. Wow. If you ask, well, how do you get those kids back? The answer is we don't. Mm. Uh, who goes out and checks on them? Nobody. Mm. And probably the most powerful story I had there is when I had a student under the influence and I could tell he was smoking really heavy. You could just see it in his face. And, and Dr. Folletti had shared with me when I first met him that kids use to handle their stress. And, I, and that was hard for me to get my head wrapped around. And, um, but I finally started just when I had kids in that situation, just say, okay, Hey, I'm not judging you, but, uh, it seems to me like you're smoking pretty heavily. And I, and with this young man, um, he was, he was what we call baked. He could hardly get his words out. But when I started asking him about his stress, he said, he's at a 10. And I said, Emil, you can't handle a 10. Mm -hmm. Nobody can handle a 10. We've got to get you support. And, and, all of a sudden, he's, you know, I told him, I said, you don't have to tell me what's going on, but a 10 is heavy. And, and he shared with me about losing his older sister in a house fire and uh, how he wasn't there to rescue her and, and that he would have run into that house, even if it meant being killed himself, he would have tried. And I, I'm devastated with this story. And then he takes it one step farther and he just breaks down and he says my little sister is, was in foster care and her foster dad beat her to death and he said uh and he just he just you know spoiler i i, I would you know i i would have protected her i i'm the brother i should have been there and he said i can't get those thoughts out of my mind he goes i can smoke i can smoke and smoke and smoke and i can't get those thoughts out of my head and uh I was able to, I was able to share with them, you know, I think we can help you with that if you want help. Cause we, you know, we had the health center there and he's one that said he was willing to get some help and man, four months down the line, he was smiling. His face was clear. And I pulled him aside and I said, I just got to tell you, Emilio, you're looking great. I see you laughing. I said, it's so cool to see, just to see you mingle with your peers and he said the counseling has just really helped me mm-hmm. and uh just, those there's all kinds of stories like that and, and <laughs> what, what if i would have put him out 35 days mm-hmm. he, he needed to be with us not 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 excluded from us mm-hmm. by being even though i did discipline and he got he got he he got a charge because he, he also was in, in possession. He, he, he knew, he expected all of that. In fact, he told me, he goes, I need to man up on that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but with the focus of, of getting him support and help and to see the impact of that, and then to be able to pull him aside and just say, how you doing? Um, it, it, that was one of the most powerful experiences I had yeah it sure is a powerful story thank you so much for sharing it 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 really made me think about how um, sometimes we hear about educators seeing their role as being quite narrow when in terms of you know teaching the kids the academics when really you know the most powerful thing is us providing a community and providing them care um, which for some kids makes all the difference and I think that story really hit home with me because there was no one else that um you know that student could talk to really and felt safe enough to um share those things and get help for it um and so that's incredible well it 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 developed the relationship to where through the counseling he didn't have to smoke so much so so Mm. what did we have we had an engaged student versus one that was high and dealing with such high stress. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not going to get to the academics until we start to deal with the emotional uh, well-being of these kids. Uh, it, it showed up in our testing scores. Uh, our testing scores, I mean, it's not overnight, but they, they went out the roof. Uh, we made mm-hmm. 30% gains, and I know that's that's not, you're not going to hit, you're going to hit 
a certain growth ceiling, mm. but our kids were engaged mm. because mm. they were they were in relationship. And when you're in relationship, that opens up that hope and healing for resilience. Mm. Mm. It's a natural empowerment that, that I, 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 I've seen that makes relationships so powerful. Mm. Mm. It's not it's not us making those decisions for them. It's them being able yeah. to empower it from within. And so I would argue that the punishment, we missed such a huge opportunity Yeah. to get what we want. I mean, this approach will get us everything we want. Discipline mm -hmm. improves, academics goes up. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a natural. You mentioned the um, test scores, Jim. Can you share with us any other outcomes at all that you had from Lincoln? Um, it, it's quite an incredible kind of result, and, and it, some of that is covered in the documentary Paper Tigers. But were there any other outcomes that you achieved that you wanted to share with our audience? We, we had a uh, uh, Dario Longhai. He's a uh, he, he's known nationally a researcher. In fact, he did all the research for Washington State around ACEs for Laura Porter. Um, he did a study on our seniors my last year, and he, this is a study that, that, that he wanted to figure out the resiliency with the ACE score, and, and he wrapped a science protocol around his work, but he took up our seniors and he tracked them back till the eighth grade year, and he tracked attendance behavior, then he started tracking their GPA and then their credits. And seven, that year, the average senior or our average student uh, averaged 5.5 aces. That was our school average. So, you know, that was off the charts. 70% uh, of the case study were performing as if they had zero aces, mm. which is just so powerful. And when he asked the kids, you know, why they felt successful. It just aligns with what the research tells us. I have a family. I have people that care about me. I have hope. I mean, this is their words. I have hope. I'm op I, I have optimism about my future. Uh, you know, some, sometimes I think I get too much credit to say that I transformed Lincoln. And I always say, uh, no, Lincoln transformed me. You know, you can't, you can't give enough to these kids that they don't give, give you so much more back. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I'm grateful for, for what they taught me and, mm -hmm. and through their lives. And, uh, I have an outreach for the alumni kids. So I, I still have one foot in the trench a little bit and, uh, they're still, they're still transforming me and teaching me. Yeah, no, that's that's incredible, really, and it really is a privilege um, to work with some of these children. Um, Jim, you you know uh, you were the principal there at the school. Um, what would you say to um, teachers who find themselves being quite isolated? I think we were talking about this before, <laughs> um, being the only voice in maybe like a whole staff group or a district trying to advocate for these practices. Um, what would you say to them about um, how they can proceed with that? Well, I, le lessons learned for me ha have been on, in my journey now training schools and working with schools. Uh, biggest lesson for me is that if, if, if we're going to move a school and if we're going to see sustainability, the principal has to lead it. Mm -hmm. And we, we encourage a principal to, to develop a leadership team to help with that. But the staff has to see the leader leading. Um, I, I've been in some situations where I'll do a training and the principal will be in and out of the training. Uh, and in, in the early on stages where I was able to do a little bit more follow through or follow up, uh, there was, it, just, it, fell, it fell to the wayside because there was nobody leading it. Mm. Uh, when we have teachers doing it in isolation I, I have joy for the kids that have those teachers and then I have pain for when those those kids have been nurtured and have made so much progress mm. they go to a traditional teacher the following year and we lose it 
So what I share is that, you know, I'll have, I'll get calls. We gotta, we gotta get our whole district trained. And my, my focus is let's find your champions that are asking to be trained. Mm. Let's get those schools trained so that they become the, the, the trainers from within and that they train other schools yeah. because their dad, your data is what's going to attract other people in. Yeah. So the schools that I know that are truly trauma informed, that their, their outcomes are no different than what we saw at Lincoln. Their discipline has just plummeted and their, their academics are, have gone up, but the relationships and the school cultures is, um, so powerful that I see, I have one school in Kansas that is truly trauma-informed and they are now training schools regionally and the principal is now even uh, presenting nationally. I think that's where we're gonna get the sustainability. We gotta get the champions, we gotta get behind them. And, uh, cause I can come in and train, then I'm gone. Mm. We, we, we need those schools to, um, to blossom and, and, and to grow and, and to show how it's done so that they can be the champions within that district to keep it going. Yeah, that's excellent. And Kay, I'll get you to jump in in a minute uh, if you had any questions. But I, I wanted to ask you about the follow-up and the implementation after you've done a piece of training. Um, what do you see that schools, the schools who do it well, what do you see them doing, Jim? Because we've had a similar experience where we'd, you know they'd ask us to come in and do one-off trainings and we're always encouraged to go back but what has been your experience with that about the implementation and the follow-up for school to do it well uh now that i'm traveling nationally and hitting so many different states i don't i don't have the opportunity to, to just go into one school and to stay with them until they're up and running hmm. but those that i know that are doing it it's powerful and then but i'm having i'm going to conferences and i'm having people walk up with my book and say i just want you to know we are a trauma-informed school and we use your book to become trauma-informed hmm. and, um, that that's the powerful thing you know dr yeah. ginsburg says uh to work with trauma-informed kids, we got to go through their heart to get to their heads. Yeah, uh, that's when I'm doing trainings or, or presentations. I'm trying to. That's my goal. I, I'm hoping that I hit somebody's heart to mm. get to their head yeah. to create that mind shift. Um, you don't always know, yeah. uh, but uh, to get that feedback from time to time is is uh, pretty exciting. Yeah, that's right. Kai, did you have any questions or comments for Jim? No, not at the moment. I'm just um, <laughs> jotting down little things and 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 listening. I, as I'm thinking it through, I, yeah, I, I just there's so much wonderful, valuable information in there, and I think that it's again, it's working, isn't it? with the teachers to change the culture. And, and it's such a scary thing um, when you have one way of working, which is that you can do whatever you choose to do. That behaviour was your choice, you know, mentality, which we were all trained in. To, like you said, Jim, that you felt a bit nauseous to just have the courage to just put in another strategy and mindset that you do well. and teach it well and effectively like we do other things. I mean, you can, if you just back yourself in the fact that you're a good teacher and you can do this, um, it's, it's, it's like, it's basically what you're trying to do for the children. <laughs> you're trying to do for yourself, you know, back yourself with the feelings and the, and the relationships is the right thing to do. But it's, oh, it's, it's so, such a scary prospect to, trust trust the principal and trust this new idea and just let go everything you knew to be right it's um yeah it's it's really really wonderful that we're like you said the data will attract the teachers when you actually 
have people, like you said, like the school in Kansas that go, we are living proof that this works. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, it's just great. That's, yeah, you're right. That's the way we're going to change the way we do things, yeah. You bring up such a good point with, with we're, but we're not asking a teacher to do anything different than how they deserve to be treated. That's so, right, yes, yes. So my naysayers, if, if they screwed up or if they got themselves in a jam, they wanted um, they wanted compassion they wanted empathy they wanted understanding they wanted forgiveness as much as anybody else and and so when we really look at it, it it's nothing um that we, that we wouldn't ask for ourselves or that we ourselves deserve to be treated no it's doing yeah. what's right isn't it i'll i'll just share i i think one of the the pieces that we have is um that uh misnomers is that trauma informed to me it's a checkbox so like you said you where you've gone and done your training and out folks will say we did trauma informed already <laughs> i always share you don't you can't you don't do trauma trauma informed is who you are it's who I am as a person. It's who we are as a school. It's our culture. This is how we take, a, take care of our kids. This is how we take care of our families. This is how we take care of ourselves and work with one another. So, so it's, it's the culture of who we are, not a, a, what we did or think we did. And a huge lesson for me is we, we can't reach 100% we know that, but we can love them a hundred percent. And when we love the, these kids a hundred percent, some are going to fail. But what I've seen in this journey is kids who have failed. You never give up on them because there's kids who fail and they, they fail in an atmosphere of love. When they get back up, they go back to the people they feel that they're safe with and you can help pick them back up and move them forward from that point. And uh, that, that, that's been a very, very powerful lesson for me. It sure is. Thank you so much, Jim. I was just wondering, what are you currently curious about in your work? I know you do a lot of speaking at the moment uh, and training. What are you curious, do you think, at the moment? What am I curious about? Yeah, that's it. Um, I... I'm kind of in this transition in my, in my, in my mindset and my thinking with uh, the term trauma informed. I, I think at least here in the States, we have a movement, we have a wave building, definitely not anywhere close to cresting, but we have a wave that's building. And so trauma informed is used a lot. And so in my transition, in my mind right now, I'm, changing my language from we're trauma-informed, which to me now is we, we have the why. Now we need to be trauma-responsive, and we have to put the why into action. And so I've been using the trauma-responsive phrase more and more to create action because, uh, as you probably have noticed, you can do training, and it's it can be, well, you had, you didn't tell me how to do it. Mm. You know, okay. I know we need to make a change, but how you haven't mm. told us how yet. And those three concepts I gave you are pretty, pretty simple concepts if I can embrace them, but yet so powerful that, that, that will take us to who we are mm. Mm. What doing. Yeah. Yeah. So my curiosity is around moving the why to action. And, uh, and in my work, I'm starting to do more trainings, full day trainings with my book. And uh, the trainings are for principals and their leadership teams who want to become trauma-informed. So uh, I, I'm working with, with, with highly motivated groups 
and uh, that that's why I was sharing that I think those are the folks we've got to really capture, support, and help them through their journey and their walk to get them up and running so that they can do the same for somebody else. I, I think that's where we're that's where the movement's going to pick up even more. There's not that many educational trainers and, um, and the ones that I know that are really doing it right are too young to, to <laughs> we need to have them stay where they're at and continue to do the great work they're doing. But, uh, uh, I, I think you can take those three concepts into any social service agency. Uh, I think they apply clear across the board. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for speaking with us, Jim. Was there anything else you wanted to add uh, or maybe even let people know how they could get in touch with you or um, find your work? Well, I have a website, jimsporleader.com or jimsporleaderconsulting.com. That's how they can contact me and they can get uh, access uh, to the book through that website. But um I appreciate what you are doing. Um, I, I, I think we're all on the same team and we're all heading for the same goal and we all want the same uh, uh, benefits for those that we're working with. And uh, so thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you, Jim. It was lovely to connect. Thank you. All right. Okay. Take care. Thanks Take care. very much. Bye-bye. Okay. That was our interview with Jim Sporleader. To get access to the links and the resources mentioned in the interview, please visit www.tipbs.com. If you are enjoying listening to our show, please rate and review us on iTunes. Your ratings make all the difference. Thank you for listening. See you next time.